At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'd like to start together uh, by praying. So join with me in prayer, please. God in heaven, gracious Father, loving Lord, we gather here today and recognize that you are the creator of all things. Before you, God, there was nothing. And without you, God, there is nothing. God, we give you thanks for calling people to faith, for planting your word in the hearts of people, for delivering humanity, delivering us from sin. God, it is a great privilege to open your word, to read from your heart, from your own self-disclosure. It's a privilege to do that with your people. God, give us confidence in the power of your word. Give us clarity in understanding it, Father. Make us into bold disciples who proclaim the truth of your word without reservation. God, I pray that your people would be built up through the time that we spend now in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, another Sunday, I have another story for you. So it goes like this. A five-year-old boy was sitting on the couch enjoying a rare treat, a can of Coca-Cola. I know many kids don't drink Coca-Cola at five, but I did. Um, Anyway, but his excitement got the best of him. He spilled it on the floor and created a huge mess. But he thought himself was a big boy. He wanted to clean it up himself. And so he asked his mom, Mom, what do I do? What, where's the mop? And so she pointed him to the mop just outside the back door. So the little boy ran quickly to the door, but as soon as he got there, he noticed it was dark outside. He became afraid. But his mother reassured him, God is everywhere, even in the dark places, and he will protect you. This brought a big smile to his face. So he opened the door just enough to poke his head outside and said, God, if you're there... Pass me the mop. (laughs) I think this is how most of us trust God, right? It's kind of small. It's half-hearted even. (laughs) Sometimes we don't trust God because we struggle to believe that he truly wants what's best for us. Other times I think it's because we just have unrealistic expectations of him. Or we just aren't willing to wait on his timing. Many times it just boils down to this. We want to be in control. Christian author Jerry Bridges says it like this. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It's a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. It's quite a quote. It's quite a good characterization, I think, of trusting God. See, because trusting God, it's an indicator of our heart condition, right? It shows us what's in our heart. It reflects 
where our loyalty and our commitment is placed. Trusting God no matter the circumstances in your life or my life, the circumstances around us, it shows God that we count on him and not the world or what it has to offer. See, there's a direct correlation. I want you to see this. There's a direct correlation to the direction of your life and trusting God. Simply put, trusting God and taking him at his word takes faith. It takes a lot of faith. And today we're launching a brand new series that we're calling Elijah. No secret there. It's because of the person named Elijah, the man who was known to trust God and take him at his word. See, many of us think that the people we read about in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Hannah, all of these characters, somehow they're wiser. They're smarter than us. Super spiritual, maybe, even. Somehow they had an advantage over us that allowed them to obey God, allowed them to serve him in such a miraculous way, a way that amazes us when we read the Bible. See, the truth is, none of that is true. The truth is, they're just like us. They're flawed. They're sinful. They're unqualified. In the New Testament, James writes this about Elijah in James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. No difference in him than us. Paul even said this about himself. I'm the worst sinner. The sinner, I'm the foremost, he says. So let's get rid of these inaccurate perspectives of who the people in the Bible that we read about are. Let's understand that Elijah didn't have any great insight or inspiration. He didn't have an advantage that allowed him to serve God in quite honestly looks like a miraculous way. He's just as human as we are. He's just like us. So grab your Bibles and open with me to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, that's the 11th book. If you start at Genesis, count to 11 and get to the 11th book in the Old Testament. While you're making your way there, I want to provide you a little context because a lot uh, has transpired in the history of God's people. The once prosperous nation of Israel is now splintered into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And many of the kings of both kingdoms fail to do what's right by God. They allow idolatry, quite honestly, to thrive, to have its way, and to be pretty prevalent throughout the nations and throughout the different kingdoms. And what you see repeatedly leading up to the time that Elijah comes on the scene is you see this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So on and so on. Every king... And there's a few that pop up here and there that actually do what's right by God, but those are in the vast minority. And our text actually focuses on the northern kingdom called Israel. And its king, his name was Ahab. And near the end of chapter 16, actually verse 33 of chapter 16, it says this, we're told this, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Safe to say Ahab was not a good dude. Pretty poor king, to say the least. And it's a dangerous time at the time of this writing to be a follower of God, a faithful follower of God, that is. Your nation is divided. Evil is rampant. Idolatry is the norm. Kind of sounds like today, if I'm honest. But in all of this, we see Elijah lives a life of faith. He trusting God 
in who he is and taking him at his word. And if you hear nothing more, I want you to hear this. If you take away nothing else this morning, I want you so desperately to take away this. A life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. A life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. So 1 Kings 17, we're going to be reading the whole chapter, so buckle up. It's a lot of verses, all right? All right, here we go. Verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and, her, and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Let's stop there for just a little while here. Elijah kind of comes out of nowhere. There's no buildup, there's no introduction And there's quick references to who he is elsewhere in the Bible, but those are very short, very scant. This is the most extensive description of who he is as a person from chapters 17 to 19, which we're going to cover over this series. We're not even told he's a prophet, only that he's a Tishbite, where he's from. He just barges onto the scene. There's no introduction. We don't really know the character of his quality, or the quality of his character, excuse me, but yet he's delivering this message to the king. And it's a heavy message. It's pretty heavy indeed. Drought was bad news for the kingdom, especially in Palestine, where life was driven literally by agriculture. And King Ahab, if we talk about him for a second, he was married to a princess of Tyre named Jezebel. That name may ring a bell if you're familiar with some of these stories in the Bible. This marriage was strategic. Make no mistake, it was for economic reasons. It brought economic advantage to Israel and the neighboring region. But most important, though, is that Jezebel 
worshipped the pagan god Baal. So by this marriage, idolatry and Israel became locked together. They were locked and they were tied and forever entwined together. And Baal, he was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a storm god. And so people who worshipped him believed that he could make rain and he brought fertility and life to the land. Apparently rain is important for farming. Who knew? But Jezebel, she kind of just pushed the envelope, right? She wanted full-on public worship of Baal. And she wanted it to replace the worship of Yahweh, the worship of the God of Israel. And Ahab, as a good husband, he delivered. He built a temple for Baal for her. And he gave her the freedom to just push on the worship of Baal on all of the people and replace the worship of God with it. And so this is our backdrop. And in walks Elijah and he says, as the Lord lives, I'm his prophet and it's not going to rain until I say. It's pretty heavy words to come up against the king with. See, these words were a direct challenge from God to the idolatry that was taking place, to the lay of the land, so to speak. And long ago, God warned his people this was going to happen. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. This was a risky message. Elijah, quite honestly, he was, just, he was risking his life to come before the king, knowing who his wife was and knowing what she was all about, what she wanted. And so to say this, it literally was putting his life on the line. But in the face of this danger, in the face of a great danger, Elijah unconditionally obeyed. Unconditionally obeyed. And that's this first aspect, this first character trait of a life of faith. It's unconditional obedience. And after delivering this message, God tells Elijah to leave. Just a small centimeter from the one sentence to the next, but such a big gap in what's going on. Why would God do this? Why would God tell him to leave? And if we look at God's instructions here on face value, seem a little bit nuts, a little bit crazy. I don't know about you, but having birds feed you, pretty crazy. I like what they're bringing, meat and bread. I'm not going to complain about that. But it's pretty crazy. And we don't have any discussion. I want to know, like, is there any wrestling and any questions from Elijah? Like, God, what are you talking about? Birds bringing meat and bread? None of that. All we see is Elijah obeying what God tells him. And God does exactly what he promised. This is what I want you to see. Every time God gives a command, he also gives a promise. That's what stands out in this text. That's really what's kind of underneath the words for you to see. Go here and I will provide for you. Go there and I will make sure you are provided for. See, God controls all natural resources. There's nothing that's not at his disposal. He has it all and can give it at a moment's notice. See, and belief in that truth of who God is, that's what's fueling Elijah's trust. And that's exactly what a life of faith is. It's right belief about God's character that motivates us to trust him and to live rightly in his sight. That's what a life of faith is all about. 
but also each time God gives a command, he raises the stakes. Things get more risky for Elijah, more risky for even others. Look at verse 8. God commands Elijah to go to Zarephath and tells him that he's commanded now a widow there to feed him. And as we read on, it turns out it's a poor widow who actually has a son. Things are getting more risky for other people now as well. And Zarephath, you may not know this, that was ground zero for Baal worship. So now there's another person involved. There's a young person now involved. And now he's in quite honestly the heart of persecution for a faithful follower of God. This is God's plan. Are you tracking with this text? I mean, this is God's plan. The stakes are getting higher. The risk is getting greater. See, no matter how difficult it looks to us, how difficult it sounds, how bizarre it sounds, how amazing, how crazy, we just see Elijah obeying. He just keeps doing what God asks him to do. And the situation with the widow and her son is bleak. She admits that she doesn't have enough to help Elijah. And what she does have is literally the last. And it's not much for her and her son. They're literally on the verge of death. She admits that this is probably going to be their last meal. They don't have too much time after that. And yet, another thing that's just in the text, like Elijah's obedience, is God sustaining people. He sustains her, her son, and Elijah just like he said he would. See, the widow even obeys God. Elijah tells her to to go and, and do that for him first, and she just she does what he says. And in fact, what God does, he makes something that's in scarce supply, the flour and the oil, last far beyond human expectations. You see that in the text. Her and her household and Elijah, they ate for many days. It says not until the rain came. I became a pastor just a few years ago, so kind of new, kind of green still. Um, for a long time, I didn't work even in ministry. I worked in biotech and even in patent law. And I remember about 10 years ago is when God called me out of the marketplace to become a pastor. And it was a long road. wasn't really clear to me at first. There's a lot of waiting. But when it was God's timing to go to school, we didn't really have the financial resources to make it happen. Georgette and I, just, we just didn't have the money. And she was working a, a, a stable but low-paying job. I was doing some freelance work, but that was quickly drying up. That, that end was coming very quickly. And so I took a job working in a trade, doing some finishing, uh, refinishing of hardwood floors. But we heard God's word to us. Apply. Do what I'm asking you to do. Move forward as I've directed you. And I'll never forget the day. Man, it was a pretty wild day. Kind of like this, raining, overcast. It looked kind of dreary. And Georgette and I were like, well, this is what he's asked us to do. So we apply, and I'll never forget it. I submit my application, and literally within the hour, someone close to Georgette and I called me up and said, God told me to pay for your education. God told me to pay for your education. See, Georgette and I, we're not perfect models of obedience. Far from it. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Well, she might be a little closer than me. Um, see, the question is this. Does God have liberty with you? 
See, that's, that's really the question that's laying right underneath the words. It really confronts us all. And I don't know if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks. We didn't orchestrate this, but we talked about why God doesn't seem to answer our prayers. Then we talked about reading the Bible and not getting bored. It has nothing to do with God, everything to do with us. And we talked about how God has a consistent character that runs all through the Bible. He's loving, he's merciful, he's just. And now we're saying, do we really want to obey him? Do we trust him at his word? You couldn't make this up. God's asking you, do I have liberty with you? Can I ask you something and you're going to do it? Anything. Or maybe the question is for you, maybe how, how big of the ask does it have to be for God to look small to you? For you to have so much fear, you're like, eh, God, you can have it. I don't want it. That's what's here. That's what's in the text. That's what's, when we allow the Bible to really read us, that's what's being asked of us in the life of Elijah. Because I truly think when we're confronted with what is impossible for us, what is risky for us, we see just how much we trust God and take him at his word. We get a chance to look into our own heart and see what's actually there. See, some of us, we may even know what God wants us to do. We may hear it loud and clear, and we hem and we haw. We offer excuses. We even question them like, God, is that really you? Is that really what you're saying to me? We hesitate with what God is asking us. And let me just say this. You might not understand, and sometimes obedience must come before understanding. You may never understand. You may have doubt, and God still is asking you to obey. Because the more we're willing to obey, the more our hearts reveal that we trust him and we take him at his word. Let's go back to our text and pick it up at verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause my death of my son, or cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Wow. For a while there, we saw obedience result in blessing a couple times. Right? He, Elijah obeyed God and something good happened. 
more than just once and more than just for Elijah. But now in one verse we go from overflowing joy, from celebration to absolute bottom. The woman's son becomes sick, so sick that he dies. I think the true sadness of what's happening here at the text is in the fact that it's just so ordinary. Like the widow, death brings fear to many of us. And I'd be lying to you if I, don't, if I didn't tell you that I struggle with the fear of death sometimes. But not just really for myself, for the people I love. My sons, my, my wife, people I have a rich relationship with. The people I see on a daily basis. See, I think fear like that is probably the number one reason why we fail or even struggle to trust God. I think it's also at least one reason why we see the Bible repeatedly, hundreds and hundreds of times, saying, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. See, as people who trust, trust Christ, we place our trust in Christ. However, we're not without hope. Right? If you're in Christ today, you have an abundant hope, an abundant joy because death has been defeated in Christ. We've been set free from the lifelong slavery that Hebrews 12 or 2.15 says of the fear of death. Death has been defeated by Jesus. See, in faith, Elijah trusts God that he can deliver this boy. And so he asks the mother, let me take him from you. Give him to me. He takes the boy up to his room and he cries out to God in prayer. And this is the second thing that we should see from a life of faith. It's complete dependence. Complete dependence. Because even Elijah struggles here. He questions God like, how can you bring this upon this son with this woman that I'm, I'm just visiting? You told me to come here. He questions God. That isn't a lack of faith. It's just an admission that he's helpless. He has no power to change the situation. He can't do anything about it. He doesn't hold the power of life in his own hands. It's okay to have doubts in your life. God can handle them. Really, the question of if you have doubt is, what do you do with it? Do you take it to God? Do you admit it to him? That God, I don't see how this is going to happen. I don't see how you can bring this about. But I trust you anyway. Because Elijah does. Look at how he prayed. It shows complete dependence on what God and only God can do. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. This is a prayer of desperation. There's nothing magical about it. There's not even anything magical about him laying himself on the child three times. It's actually a selfless act because to a Jew, to touch a dead body, they're unclean. That would make him unclean. And so he risks contact out of compassion and complete dependence on God to bring him back. Oh, Lord, my God, save this boy. <laughs> and that's exactly what we see God do. God heard his prayer. God answers Elijah's prayer exactly as he, as he asked. Listen to it again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. 
God hears your voice when you cry out to him. He listens to you. He's ready to handle everything in your life. See, these situations that we see Elijah go through are increasingly desperate. First, they're desperate for him personally, but then they're desperate for others. All while he's obeying God. (laughs) Each time Elijah obeyed, he was completely dependent on God to provide. And so again, the question is, is the difficulty that may await you from obeying God, is that what's holding you back? Is that what's holding you back? Because we, we love, <clears throat> excuse me, we love our independence, don't we? Dependence is usually not the thing we're aiming for in life. Not at all. Not even close. I mean, even as my sons get older, my oldest son is preparing for college, we're kind of coaching them up to have a certain amount of independence in their life. Like if I'm going to brush my 17-year-old's teeth, that's a little weird, right? It's a little weird. Help him get changed. Super awkward. Super awkward. Right? But a certain amount of independence, that's, that's healthy. That's, that's fine. But when we're young, independence is something that we dream about. Man, when I get out of my parents' house, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to live over here. I'm going to own this car. We kind of like, it's a rebellious independence. But even when we're older, we kind of expect it of ourselves. I don't, I, don't, I don't need your help. Thanks, I'm good. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to see this through. See, even a, a healthy amount of independence in life can turn into a sinful autonomy. A sinful kind of, hey, I'm a maverick. I'm going to just make this happen. But let me assure you, there's no mavericks or lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Only those who completely depend on him Because depending completely on God is not weakness. It's slipping into our own skin. It's slipping into the life we were meant for. Slipping into the life we were called to in Jesus Christ. One pastor and author says it like this, the cost of union with Christ is the death of our independence. The cost of true worship is the exile of our autonomy. See, when we depend completely on God, I think our eyes become wide open. Wide open to the truth that an independent life never really fit us anyway. Never really fit us anyway. See, Elijah, he's a great example of a life of faith, but he's not the best. He is, however, meant to point us to the best. Jesus. Jesus is the greatest prophet who ever lived. To the Father's commands, he obeyed unconditionally. Paul writes in Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And on the Father's plan, Jesus depended completely. He said this about himself in John 5.19. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. See, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus provide the power to live a life of faith where we trust God and take him at his word. He is the better Elijah because on his unconditional obedience and complete dependence to the Father, we place our hope for this life 
and the next. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.